welcome to Life's Undertakings. I'm Brad Jones. And I'm Shannon Leahy. So we have a little bit of a saying. What happens when you walk into a bar with an undertaker and a... A writer. The story's told. <laughs> well, I wanted to preface that by saying as a writer, I was already in the bar. That's and true. It, and then you heard someone had died inside, so then you came in. <laughs> Who, who's up to bat uh, this evening, Brad? Who's, who's our special guest? Well, our guest tonight is someone I met about three years ago. And um, like a lot of the people that I've met and I become friends with, um, they meet you at different times of your life, different roads that you're on, different paths that you're both traveling. And sometimes it takes you a little bit longer to intersect again. And our guest tonight is someone that has an immense experience in the death industry. Even though she's only been a licensed funeral director for the last, I think, three years or so, she comes to the funeral industry a little uh, later in life, but she has a lot of great experiences. I'd like to uh, welcome our guest to Life's Undertaking podcast tonight, Ellen Newman. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Thanks very much for inviting me. Well, Ellen, you know what? I think... Uh, I think you'll be a great guest with us this evening. There's a, you know, a vast thing that you know about that uh, a lot of people in this industry don't have a clue about. Um, alcohol? No, no. A lot of undertakers are well-versed in alcohol, um, judging by what's on our table tonight. So are all of we. Um, green funerals and the family-led death care. These are uh, huge topics in our society today that a lot of funeral homes will not touch. A green burial is a little bit more of um, an accurate term because it talks about the disposition part of the equation. Disposition is what we do at the end of the funeral process. So the two forms of disposition that we usually have are burial and cremation. So, and conventional burial would involve, you know, a, a casket that goes inside a burial vault that's in a cemetery that looks like a lawn, is very uh, maintained and has beautiful manicured gardens and a whole lot of granite and a whole lot of concrete. And all of those things have significant environmental impact. So a green burial is... Uh, and I'm just going to stop for a second and sort of say the term green is really just a, a, a term for something that has a lower environmental impact. So it's not something that has zero impact. It's something that has a lower environmental okay. impact. The footprint is still there. It's not like organic burial or well, organic even, burial. Even it is organic, but even organic Produce, for example, has a carbon impact. Everything we do on this planet has a carbon impact. And the reason I guess I'm kind of dwelling on that is when I go out to present on this topic um, to professionals or even consumers in communities, uh, people bring up, well, it's not really green because you have to drive to the cemetery to get there. And you know, that is, I guess, a good point. But uh, you know, the trucks that come up and come to pick up our recycling also run on fossil fuels and those vehicles are made with plastic and steel that have a significant uh, carbon impact to who make. And the container that we put our recyclables in is made out of plastic. So are we going to stop recycling because of all those things? Absolutely not. Like what we're trying to do is reduce our carbon impact. So green burial is an option for families who are looking to maybe carry those values that they're starting to develop, people who care about their carbon impact in life. We have sort of five basic principles that go into green burial. 
The first principle of green burial is that uh, a person who uh, chooses a green burial is going to forego embalming. And uh, the main reason for that is because embalming uh, slows down or retards the decomposition process. It, it's not so much you may hear a lot or see in um, articles around that, uh, you know, embalming fluid is horribly toxic and uh, the equivalent of six Olympic swimming pools of formaldehyde is going into the ground in, in the United States every year. And, you know, that is of concern, I guess, but uh, the main reason is, is that it slows down um, decomposition. It's timely in the sense of green uh, burial mm -hmm. is obviously coming into its own because people do want to help help the environment, be considered envi environmentally friendly. And in the end, though, you still are talking about death and you still are talking about embalming. <laughs> and people, I can see why people start to get squirmish and then they, they start talking about footprints and trucks and all, and, and all the rest, right? Um, uh, that's not been my personal experience. When I talk with consumers, I would have to say that they are uh, breathlessly awaiting every single word. Um, I have presented uh, in communities and there is wall-to-wall -wall people there and we don't have enough time to answer all their questions. Um, I think that people are very interested in this option, much more than um, people in their profession are maybe really prepared for. In green burial, the person is going directly into the ground without that extra layer, that extra concrete vault. And concrete itself has an incredible in environmental impact. Um, but many of the burial vaults that we use are actually lined with a million mile long polymer, like a type of, I, I don't even know how to describe the chemical description of it, uh, but it used to be used to line airplane windows, but they took it out because it's so toxic. And that's what we line our burial vaults with. <laughs> so, and that's going into the ground. Um, but the idea is, is that the person would be closer to the earth uh, to aid the process of decomposition. So the container that they're actually in would be biodegradable. So that could be a plain wood uh, casket that wouldn't have any varnish, metal, or glue, or it could be a fabric shroud, um, and they would be placed in the ground just like that. Every green burial ground or another aspect of green burial is that there's a ecological restoration and conservation. So the main or the most common way you would see that is that a green burial grave is not going to be sodded over with a typical, what looks like a lawn it's going to be reseeded with wildflowers or native species, or in some cases it might be woodland, a woodland that is over the grave. Another aspect or another principle of green burial is that um, each grave is not individually marked. So when you go into a regular cemetery, you see miles and miles of granite that these days may have come from China and has been carved, have harvested there and processed there and then put on a shipping container and shipped vast many miles across the ocean and then put on a truck or a train and then brought to the place. And then there's going to be a concrete foundation that goes underneath that, that granite memorial. And that has a significant uh, carbon impact. And for green burial families, um, this is really significant because this is a lifestyle statement about their loved one's body or their own body going back into an er the earth and decomposing in a way that nourishes the environment. So the entire burial ground is a monument to their loved one.
Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of funeral homes that are uh, frightened by this. Um, there's a lot of funeral homes that uh, don't like the idea of a green burial um, because they think it's taking them out of the equation. Um, and that could possibly be the case for some funeral homes. But I think when funeral homes welcome uh every type of uh, service that they can offer to families and and look at all the different ways you can serve families. We had a, a visitation at a family's home back in uh, August, and that's what the family wanted. So we worked with them. We made it happen. We brought uh, the wife to the house. We set her up in the, in the living room, and they had a, a great uh, afternoon at home with all their family and friends, and it was, uh, it was a beautiful send-off for them. Um, you know, and family-led. And, and family-led. A lot of people think uh, green funerals are green cremations. Right. And truly to be green would be to be buried. That's right. Because cremation has a significant carbon impact as well, right? So um, they say that um, the Cremation Association of North America says that each cremation uh, takes the same amount of fossil fuel that it would take to heat your house for a week. And that's per cremation. So, and most of the cremation retorts that we use are the state of the art ones anyway. They scrub almost all the CO2 or carbon dioxide emissions out of their what's coming out of the stack, basically. But they don't scrub things like mercury or uh, nitrous substances or sulfate substances. And those things are all going up into the air and contributing to a greenhouse effect as well. One of the reasons people think that cremation is an environmentally friendly choice is because they think it's saving land. Um, And I'm going to argue that having a green burial ground or a, a standalone green cemetery is definitely not a waste of land. If we really want to talk waste of land, let's talk about golf courses. Um, Clearly you're not a golfer. Oh, I like to golf. And Brian's not a good one. (laughs) Or we could even talk about city halls. Right, exactly. So, um, but cremation uh, has all those aspects. And then people talk about, um, you know, there's these new sort of, or they've come on the market recently, are these urns, they're like biodegradable urns that contain the cremated remains of an individual and they will include uh, some soil and a sapling or a seed that can be planted in the ground. And I, I personally find this a very odd kind of thing because um, cremated remains are not actually ashes. They're powdered bone, they're processed bone. Um, what's left after the cremation process is just basically the skeleton. Everything else has been incinerated. So there's not really any ashes in there. It's not like throwing ashes from your fireplace into your garden. You're talking about powdered bone. And what is powdered bone? It's calcium phosphorus. And that's a type of salt. And nothing actually grows in salt. So if you try to plant something in a clump of salt, it's not going to live. So I find that that's kind of a, a strange way to be uh, choosing to become a tree. It doesn't, See, but, that, but the, I, I believe that the majority of people though, at this point in time, and that's the joys of being ahead of the curve, right? Is we don't think it through that, that, that far, right? right? Because I, I know in uh, recent memory, having some friends confide that when they were doing the scattering of, of, of ashes, of course, they've never had their, their loved one die before. They've never had their dad die before, their mother, their, their brother. And it's not, they even say things like, it's not like in the movies where it's this beautiful scene and a few thimbles of, of, of ashes are taken by the wind and, and instead it weighed, what, the, the, the box weighed 12 pounds mm-hmm. and, and 
It, it do, was it awkward. Doesn't, it doesn't and kind really of, scatter. It just no, kind of falls to the falls, ground. No, it falls. And then they're also doing it in, in a forested area. Of course, they're not... Th- I, I never thought of it. Why Why would I? And why, how would I? much less how would I know? Not, nothing grows in salt. I mean, that's it's memorable. Right. And people just... We, we don't think it through. So there is a more environmentally friendly way to... Um, I guess, dispose of cremated remains. And that is scattering, which is legal in several different ways in the province. And just like you would use bone meal in your garden, you know, you don't put it in a big clump at the bottom of your rose bush. You spread it out over the garden and you turn it in. And that's the same way that you would uh, maybe have more of an environmental, positive environmental impact with cremated remains. So a green burial ground would um, thought go into access to the green burial ground. Uh, because there's no monuments, um, there's minimal use of roads that would go through a green burial ground, and the plans would ideally include uh, the eventual removal of those roads where they would be filled in with graves. And most green burial grounds are designed, not all of them, but some of them are designed in a way so that they start at one end of a burial ground and they kind of build towards the entrance. And that per- that prevents people kind of walking across the ground that they're trying to restore this ha- um, natural habitat in. But the other thing that's really interesting that is kind of on the horizon and maybe will be available in Ontario one day. It's currently available in Quebec and it's available in BC. And this is the idea of grave reuse. So in Europe, where they are completely out of space for cemeteries, um, you have a fixed term lease on your grave plot. And in some places like Poland, it's 10 or 15 years and the person comes out and a new person comes in. So just in the news recently, like literally a couple of days ago, Mountain View Cemetery in Vancouver, BC, has come up with a really unique idea of these um, graves where you can, it's kind of like a condo grave, like you can share a grave with somebody you don't know instead of a family plot, you know, they have a grave where... Maybe you'll get along better with them than your family. <laughs> than your family. That's, that's probably true. Possibly. We might uh, avoid some of those awkward moments around the arrangement table. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, so it's a way of uh, uh, reusing the grave or co-using a grave that reduces uh, impact on the land. So here in Ontario, that's illegal. It's illegal to, we have to sell, uh, currently have to sell burial plots in perpetuity. Um, But one way that that could be turned to an advantage is that if a green burial ground was established that was standalone and had a conservation easement on it, then that land would be protected forever because it was a cemetery. And it could become a place where people could, you know, ride their bikes or hike, or it could be a natural restoration habitat for an endangered species. And people could have Day of the Dead ceremonies there. I was just going to say, you know that ghost (laughs) tours are going to show up, right? Exactly. And I I have a friend of mine, we were planning an event like this in Kitchener. We thought it would be lovely to have, you know, sort of spend a night in the cemetery, you know, light a candle to your loved one or make uh, paper lanterns or something. And it would bring families back into the cemetery to use them, much like they did at the turn of the century. You know, uh, people would picnic in the cemetery. They would go there on a Sunday and bring their picnic and they would be all dressed in their finery and they would hang out in the cemetery. And if you, you know, even conventional cemeteries, people are starting to reconnect with them in interesting ways. So, Well, I I think what you're finding in the... uh in the major city areas, um, people can't afford to 
purchase cemetery property. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's going to take legislative changes where they are allowed to reuse graves. You know, and I think I you know what they're doing out in Vancouver is it's all fine and good, and it's basically grave sharing. But I think what they're doing in most of the European countries is probably the way that um, we may be needing to go in the future here in uh, in North America. Um, and whether it be having catacombs like they have in, in France, um, they have them in Greece, they have them in um, almost every mm -hmm. European country, and that's just a way that they've always done it. Mm -hmm. But what happens when your lease is up? So you're you're pulled out of your, uh, yeah. your grave, and then, and then and what happens? The bones are placed into a catacomb of some sort. Yeah, they call them ossuaries. And back you know, many hundreds of years ago, if you go into Europe, you can see some of these beautiful cathedrals that are decorated entirely in human bones. The Capuchin monks have a cathedral that's decorated in human bones. I don't know if we will ever go there again, but um, what's really interesting about that period of history, and I can see this sort of coming back in a way, is that the reason that people put these things up, these skeletons, and if you look back in sort of medieval times, you see these People, you know, there's sort of a what may seem like an obsession with death, but what it really was is an acknowledgement that we're all going to die, a memento mori reminding you of mm. death, right? So um, I could see that that could maybe become a part of our life again, where we're being reminded of our eventual demise, which helps us, you know, kind of live our life to the fullest, right? You know, to be reminded. Well, and I think uh, in North America, we've done a great job of death avoidance. Yeah, I would agree you with know, you there, Brad, for and, sure. Or know. we're anti-aging. Yeah. Forget death. Forget, yeah. forget being pro-death. We're not right. We're not even pre yeah. we're not even pro-older. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and we thought the baby boomers would, would would help us along in maturing around our ideas around death. But in fact, I don't really think that's happened. It's I think it does in some circles. I mean, I, you know, I didn't talk about this before, but one of the things, one of the many things that I do kind of um, with my free time is I help people accept and embrace their older selves. So I run these croning retreats for women and to um, celebrate attaining the age of respected elder in their community. And well, we're all baby boomers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're all okay, pretty, nice. pretty happy with the whole uh, attaining this age of wisdom thing. So I think it's changing. I really it, do. It is changing. I mean, I, I, I love that about about the the crone, and yet what makes the 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 news like coming coming from my own background, um, not so much if it bleeds it leads, but it's the idea of baby boomers and they're like I'm going to make a video log for the to play at my funeral and then I'm right. going to be released into a hot air balloon. So it has the, uh, the and of course the celebration of life that has become so pardon me extreme that uh, Brad I know Brad has heard me tell this story many times but I have never forgotten. Um, being at a celebration of life and watching the widow and the grandkids hiding away because uh, they're, they're tears and crying privately, like out, out in the hall. Um, but, but because the theme was that it was a no cry zone yeah. and there was a little sign that said no cry zone mm -hmm. that was up at the bar. I mean, I happened to be there, but uh, <laughs> there's a surprise that you were at the bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but no, so that's what I think is that you, of course, with the baby boomers, you have one group that have an, an empowerment around it. And then another that I think it's, it's 
it's it's a distraction. It's like extreme denial. Yeah, yeah. When it, you it's say it's a no region. cry, a no cry zone. I mean, I, I like to kind of think of, um, you know, uh, death isn't the opposite of life. Death is the opposite of birth. Life encompasses both those things because death really isn't the end of life. When we die away, we become something else, and um, our energy doesn't just disappear. Right? I love so, that. I love so, that, Ellen. That's beautifully said. And part of what that's part of, I guess, what green burial is about. You know, our bodies are giving back to the earth in a way that they, the earth gave to us. You know. Can you talk to us a little bit about another one of your passions and and uh, expertise? Was with family-led death care. I always struggle with the term death care because I, I always say to Brad, I, I, whoever made up that term long, long ago didn't do you guys any favors and to call your so industry why do you death say care. Um, with the word death is in it, number one. <laughs> right. So, and I'm one of those people that um, in, in almost all cases, if I can, if it's not really obvious to me that I'm going to upset a family that I avoid euphemisms for death. I think that it does I would agree. entire yeah. so our entire society a great disservice to uh, deny that death is part of our reality. Mm. And well, we, to we did we tried to get rid of those words. We said you know lost. We said passed, um, away. passed away. We said all kinds of different things like that. Sleeping, to sleeping. We oh, heard the that horror, the other day. Yeah, to yeah. kids. Yes, yeah, they're just sleeping, or they've gone to a better place. I mean, none of that these things have one. ever been really helpful. I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think that. Um, I think death care, part of the reason we say death care is because the bereavement authority of Ontario doesn't like it when people who aren't licensed say funeral. So we say death care <laughs> instead of funeral. But I do think it encompasses the entire uh, process of what happens at the end of one's uh, embodied existence on this plane, you know, and it doesn't just mean what happens after the person has died, but the period that's immediately for it, so death before it. So death care accompanies that death journey, or if I could use that term, from before they actually die and supporting them and their family uh, past that point. So family-led death care would n encompass that entire part of that person's life. So uh, coming up to when the point that they're going to die and then continuing the love and care that they were providing for that person past the point of death. So that would include, um, you know, caring for that person's body after they mm -hmm. have died, um, washing and dressing them, uh, perhaps vigiling them in the home. And uh, one of the reasons why I think that this is such a, uh, an interesting opportunity for the funeral profession is that as we are living in smaller and smaller spaces and having to share space, that it's not really going to be um, the logistics of holding a home vigil might not be possible. So if we as a funeral profession can provide a home vigil-like experience in the funeral home, um, that that's something that, that would be maybe helpful. So when you talk about dressing, washing the body and dressing the body, you're referring to not, uh, I almost, I almost want to say experts, but they are experts. Funeral directors are experts in, in this case. You're referring, though, to going back to the family doing those things. 100%. Right. And, and I'm going to say something that maybe Brad won't agree with, but we aren't 
necessarily the experts on the Mm. best way to care for a person's loved one after death. The family is the expert. We are there to help them. Right? So the family knows what to do. And if you've ever had the humble honor to attend as a funeral professional when a family washes and dresses their loved one, um, the experience is incredibly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. amazing like it's a it's a transcendent experience I think some families know what to do I don't think all families would not even know what to do or even want to contemplate what to do yeah right and I mean we're obviously not talking in the realm of generalizations but I, I think Sure, but just like it, every death is different. Yeah, right. Every every, every life is different. Every every um, mm-hmm. family's different. But I, I think um, I think people are actually stronger than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, everybody around the family tries to shelter them, um, tries to take the burden away from them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. As, I think as funeral professions or professionals, I think funeral profession professionals try to do the exact same thing. They try to shoulder mm. a lot of that burden for the family mm-hmm. and assisting them with a lot of the tasks that are really, some of them are mundane. Um, and then I think sometimes family, friends, funeral pro- professionals overstep and take things away from a family because they don't think that they're capable of making the decision mm-hmm. because they're in it's, a time of sorrow. It's it's well said. You need that element of advocacy that comes from both sides, from the family side, and that might be maybe one voice from the, from the family or a close friend, but also that voice of advocacy and asking, asking permission from, well, from I, I think it also, yeah, it also comes point. down to education. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, and, and we've said this as funeral professionals for a long, long time. It is really difficult to educate people at the time of a death. It's impossible. I, I yeah, almost it's, argue it's you know, impossible. Whereas you can spend a little bit more time advertise, you know, educating people prior to the death. Um, and that's what I think Ellen has really been out there in the community doing and yeah. telling people, you know, what their options are and what, what are things that can be done. And I think this is something that funeral homes have actually started to do in the last 5 to 10, 15 years, is spend time out in their community yeah. telling people their story and who they are and what they can offer. Um, starting and I think a this, dialogue. Yeah, starting mm-hmm. a dialogue. But I think this is a thing where, um, and this is discussions that Ellen and I have had over the last several months, is ways that funeral homes, funeral professionals, um, the the family dead, de- our family led death care organizations out there, how we can work together mm. and how we can you know educate the community together. One of the things that Ellen and I have been discussing was how to educate the Ontario Funeral Service Association um, in the last couple of days about how this whole process works. Um, are you talking about, so are you talking about having less of a adversarial environment almost, not well, just yes. between funeral professionals and consumers, but, but also within the industry itself, because I, and, and I can see that as a layperson looking in, I can see the status quo uh, that exists in every industry, obviously, um, looking at green burial or looking at family-led death care as as a threat as that's a piece of our pie and sure. any you you're not entitled to a slice this is this is our sure. livelihood this is our lifeblood pun intended sure so what i i have had i've been challenged on that by funeral mm-hmm, professionals like in the community and i i'll use a very specific example i had a a, a very indignant 
female funeral directors stand up at a, a showing of a film about green burial and family-led funeral um, that I that I hosted. And she said, so how do you expect funeral homes to change their business model to accommodate this? And I said, well... Ask Blockbuster. No, we're not... Ex- well, that's... <laughs> they I, didn't. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I, I, I wasn't going to go in that direction. But what I was going to say is that it doesn't require a change of business model at all. What we're about is supporting families in their decisions. And there's absolutely no reason that a full, full funeral or what would have the elements of a funeral, the elements of a conventional funeral that we are used to, cannot happen prior to a green burial. And on top of that, the funeral profession has been, despite the fact that it has appeared and acted as a very conservative, very stuck sort of profession, they adopted to cremation, which is now 70% in our in our country, 70%, and is predicted to go even higher. Uh, they've adopted to many different forms of ethnicity. So everything, you know, Brad will, will say if we have a Sikh family walk in or a Hindu family walk in or a Buddhist family walk in, and any funeral home will do this. They will serve that family to the best of their ability. And uh, they've adopted to uh, different burial practices. They adopt to all kinds of things. And they happen to be amongst the most resourceful people that I have ever come across. Who would have thought, who except funeral professionals, would have come up with the idea of using PVC pipe to replace the long bone in a long bone donor to make it possible for us to present them in a casket? Who except funeral professionals would have come up with that? So um, I, I just think that it's a way of thinking about things a little bit differently. People who want green burial and family-led funeral are just another... I guess, culture of persons that we are extremely well uh, situated to serve, extremely well situated. And, and I think that's the, the key word is serve. And I think that's where a lot of the funeral profession, professionals out there lose their focus and lose their, their um, I guess, drive of what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because ultimately, and I've said this many times, every single person that gets into this industry except people who are third or fourth generation funeral directors, every single one of us that get into this industry get in it for the exact same reason, to serve families. Exactly. And that's how people that are coming from this consumer advocacy standpoint and family-led funeral and green burial, death doulas, these peripheral uh, people that are not regulated but serve as well in the sector, they're just like birth doulas. I mean, birth doulas are now part of that birthing community, even though they're not regulated or licensed. All of those people are in it for the same reason. And just like Brad said, to serve families. That's what we're doing. I think that's a beautiful way to call it the end of the story as Brad pours himself a little bit of scotch. <laughs> to- we're getting to the point of the, uh, our, our story and our, our, law, our tall tales where we get to clink our glasses in a toast. So a toast to Ellen for coming on to uh, Life's Undertakings. And a toast um, to life. And a toast to life. And a what toast else? to life. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.